Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestonenzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe, so we can help you master the art of selling. Confidence comes from discipline and training. That's a quote by Robert Kiyosaki. And this week, we're talking to Andy Paul about why training and self-development will help you be the very best sales professional you can be. This episode is brought to you by Vidyard, Vidyard, the online video tool for sales professionals. Vidyard makes it easy for sales teams to turn text-based emails into personal video messages and will help you engage with your prospects and create an incredible buying experience for them which will ultimately help you reach your pipeline and revenue goals. So do yourself a favor, get to vidyard.com, sign up, and start using video in your sales process. As we move towards 2021, there's only a short period of time to capitalize on what has been for many a very challenging 2020. It's really interesting because where I come from, we've just come out of lockdown, one of the harshest in the world. And, you know, for others, other people are going back into lockdown. And I think we're going to see, you know, it's going to be a bit of a peak and trough um, for many economies around the world. And I think like you go, well, you know, this is, this is a once in a lifetime event. But the reality is selling often have those peaks and troughs. And yeah, it might not be a crisis, but it can be very challenging. Why this week's episode is really important because we speak to Andy Paul and Andy Paul hosts his own podcast and it's an incredible podcast. It's had hundreds and hundreds of guests on the podcast and Andy's very committed to the art of coaching and self-development. And why are we going to talk about that this week? Because the reality is in selling, you never stop learning. And if you get to that point where you go, right, I don't know, I don't need to know anything, watch out because there could be a huge dip, a cliff in front of you. Because every day, sales is changing. Now, no, the, the, the philosophy of sales, in my opinion, hasn't changed for many, many years. But the way in which the buyers engage with us has changed, and technology is playing a big part of that. So whether you like it or not, learning is a big part of the process. However, you can see learning from two perspectives, from a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. Now, I get the opportunity to talk to high-performing sales pros around the world all the time. I love it. And I get so energetic when I speak to them. And one of the most common characteristics that I see is high performers are committed to learning. It's not like something that they do once a month or something that they do every quarter or part of an annual sales kickoff. It's part of the operational rhythm. It's part of everything that they do. And they look for learning wherever they can. Why? Because just like elite athletes, high-performing sales pros are committed to finding that extra 1%. I want you to think about that opportunity to learn and go, right, what have I learned during this global pandemic? What have I done differently that's going to enable me to be the best I can be? That's going to enable me to capitalize on 
the opportunity that sits in 2021 because in some economies, they're bouncing back and they're bouncing back hard. Some are still struggling. Both enable opportunity for great sellers. And this is why this week's episode is absolutely awesome because Andy and I are going to talk about a variety of things, but you know, we really are going to talk about the art of, of self-development, the art of being committed to your craft and being a professional. Remember, anyone can work in sale, but you've got to earn the professional part. That's what my good friend, Kim McLaughlin says. So I want you to think about that especially as we see 2020 is fast, fast being eroded. And you can either take some of those challenges and really learn from it because the reality is when we are in a point of challenge, when we are in the point of struggle, it's the best opportunity because we're in the area of growth. It's where we really can sort of find that extra 1% within ourselves. So guys, buckle up, get a pen and paper because this is going to be awesome. And Andy's going to share some incredible insight with us to help you be the very best you can be. Welcome to the show, Andy. Luigi, thank you for having me. Thank you. So I want to know, have you, re- have you read all those books behind you? Uh, not all of them. <laughs> They're just, it's a green screen. <laughs> oh, it is a green screen. Yeah. No, okay. no, it's, uh, they're my books. I'm, look, I'm getting through a, a, quite a few of them. I've read uh, quite a lot of them. There's a couple of extra right. ones I need to get into. But, um, but Andy, right, I'm very excited to have... You on our show, mate, because I've spent a lot of time. I've spent a lot of um, hours on the train, on planes, um, in my car, listening to your podcast. It's well, been a great you. podcast. Thank um, you. It's been around for a number of years. So, Five yeah, really excited. Almost. Oh, mate, fantastic. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty pumped to actually um, have you on the show and, and talk a bit about your journey and sure and, and get into the, to the topic of coaching. But before we get into today's episode, we'd love to learn you know, tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into the world of sales. Sales. Oh, like a lot of people, it was an accident, right? I graduated from yeah. college and had no idea what to do. And I, like I said, no discernible job skills. I, I studied history in college. So no discernible job skills. But what I did have was an insatiable curiosity and a competitive streak a mile wide. And so somehow that lent me to, or led me to sales. So, yeah. um, yeah, and it, it sort of stuck. I wouldn't. I think after the first month, I thought, "Oh my God, I can't get out of sales fast enough." And then, um, slowly but surely, it started to make sense, or at least I was able to make sense of it. And here I am, over forty years later, still doing it. Wow. Well, you've got a pretty awesome story, right? Because the last five years, you've been on a path of, you know, putting out some incredible content um, via your podcasts, and recently, you've had your podcast acquired. Um, mm-hmm. which is incredible, right? So, <laughs> Yeah, unexpected, yes, for sure. You're, you're the Joe Rogan of the sales industry. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think I got $100 million out of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we don't play with audiences quite the same size. But, yeah. well, you know, the podcast, it's funny. I, I was inspired to start the podcast. I was at a uh, conference, and I saw... Uh, John Lee Dumas speak, and he has this podcast, Entrepreneur on Fire. It's a big podcast, business startup podcast in the in yeah. the U.S. and And I thought, well, that's that sounded pretty interesting. And the idea of yeah, talking to other people about their journey and what they've learned, and it really has turned out as I like to tell people, it's doing the podcast is one of the most selfish things I've ever done because mm. where else could I <laughs> talk to now? 820 really smart people and continue to learn stuff myself. 
and about sales, every time I talk to somebody or trust or leadership or management or coaching, or whatever the subject is, is I, I get to learn something. So I've yeah. even, you know, this deep into my career, uh, yeah, I've just been able to learn so much. It's just been incredible. So that's what keeps me going because I yeah. get to talk to people like yourself and I, like I said, learn something new and, uh, and apply it to what I'm doing. So it's sort of the theme throughout my career was always sort of reinvention. Hmm. And because I sold in the tech business for 25 years before I started my own company and always sort of was choosing companies and products and industries that interested me that I had no no grounding in at all. And some were extremely yeah. technical, like satellite communications. You know, I spent 15 years in the satellite communications business selling large, complex satellite communication systems around the world. I was in Australia probably over a dozen times uh, working with uh, Telstra and Optus um, as customers. So, yeah, it was just, it was quite quite an adventure. And, um, yeah, all due to sales. I mean, just got to meet all these incredible people and go to these incredible places. And and so, that's what reached the point where I was tired of the travel and about the year 2000 and also had started been gone too much was missing like a birthday one of my kids birthdays and so i said oh yeah let's let's change up so let's you know, reinvent myself again as, mm-hmm. as uh, a consultant and did that for about 10 years and maybe a little over 10 years and then um ended up moving to new york from southern california and said okay now what am i gonna do yeah and that's where i wrote my first book and started blogging. I'd never blogged or been on social media at all. And, and yeah, so two books, 800 podcasts, uh, you know, big social media following, just an incredible learning experience because I didn't know how to do any of that. And so, you know, it's been so much fun at a stage in my career. Where I have so many friends talking about retiring and I'm like energized looking at the next frontier. What are the things I can learn? So it's been fantastic. Mate, that is an awesome story. And, you know, I, I, I completely agree with you. I think, you know, when I started this podcast, um, one of the best things about this was I got to get to talk to the people that I've read their, their content and mm-hmm. read their books and put into practice and then take that, you know, bring it to life. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. It's such a selfish experience. And then you're able to turn that into some incredible content to help other sellers be the best they yep. can be. So I've loved this journey. Um, so mate, talk to us a little bit about, cause I think one of the things I like about the content that you put out and I probably think there is still so much area for improvement in this particular space is the coaching space, right? right? Yeah. 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 Well, sales in general, but coaching, yes, for sure. Coaching. <laughs> I think our, our industry right now, um, more than ever before, right? I think a lot of people are looking at the tactics of selling, but they're missing the fundamentals of selling. Mm. And and it's creating a bit of a gap, right? Um, in the market, we're talking about how to send a great email, cold email, cold call, cadences, tech stacks. We're forgetting, well, actually, there's a pretty important part of that process, which is the soft skill component. Um, well, yeah, I like to say that we, we're spending way too much time and effort uh, focusing on top of the funnel prospecting and way too little effort focusing on the soft skills, the middle of the, the middle of the funnel mm-hmm. where the selling actually takes place. Yeah. Uh, so, and I give people example, you know, we've got all these great conferences, you know, outbound, inbound traffic conversions and so on and so forth that are all focused on, Hey, let's generate those, those prospects. But 
you know, where's the conference on qualification? Where's the conference yeah. on discovery? Where's the conference on needs analysis? And that's where the action really takes place, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we actually, are, I think, are proving that we're actually, with the technology and all that we have, the processes we have, we're actually pretty adept at developing opportunities. Uh, I think where we've lost a beat is you know, we're getting to coaching. As I say this is we don't sell very well these days. Mm. And so it's like, I think what's happened is we've gotten so sort of flush at the top of the funnel in many SaaS businesses, for instance, that, you know, their win rates are only 20%, right? Out of their most qualified opportunities, they're closing, they're winning 20%. It's like, well, that's pretty low. We shouldn't, we should be able to do better than that. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think coaching certainly plays an element of that where you have to help people develop to become the best version of themselves. And yeah. I think that we've, we've gotten away from that as sort of a central tenant that, that we should have in sales. And we sort of are paying too much fealty to the, the process instead. And, you know, at the end of the day, sales is a human business. You know, it's what happens when I talk with you that makes the difference. And yeah. So, yeah, I believe coaching, I've done sort of an informal survey of people on my show and other people I know in sales, and I asked them, I said, okay, other than your own experience, you know, what's been the biggest influence or who's been the biggest influence on you in terms of helping you learn how to sell? And by an overwhelming majority, everybody says, well, yeah, I'm a coach or a mentor, right? A manager. Okay. If that's the case, then why aren't we investing substantially more as a profession in helping people become better coaches? Yeah. And it's interesting, yeah. We don't. Because, yeah, because of the data, and, and there's a lot of really good data out there that shows that businesses who spend more time coaching, their win rates higher. Mm-hmm. They hit, you know, they, they, they actually, the, the needle moves much more than businesses who don't invest the time in coaching. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I've seen a couple of those same reports is that, you know, the single most effective thing you can do to move the needle on actual sales, individual sales performance is effective coaching. And so I've recently been using this, this question as sort of a stalking horse for people to start the conversation about what we're doing and coaching is saying, look, you know, in the U.S., we spend $20 billion a year roughly on sales yeah. training, of which maybe 5% of that, let's say a billion is spent on coaching or teaching managers how to coach and become yeah. good leaders. And so I said, so let me ask you the question is if we you know, take as, as correct those surveys that say the most effective thing you can do to increase individual performance is effective coaching. So what if we took this $20 billion and flipped it on its head and said, look, we're going to spend $19 billion teaching managers how to coach. Mm. And we'll spend a billion on training salespeople. What do you think would happen with sales results? Mate, they're going to multiply, right? Sure, <laughs> right. <laughs> but but we've we I think it would for sure because I I yeah. think that we get a very small marginal improvement from additional sales training of sellers the way we're doing it currently. But if we could somehow scale the coaching and you know some takes some of these twenty billion dollars and for instance, I mean. I, yeah, just um, I'm a I'm a huge soccer fan, and yeah. so, but the, it could be extended to sports teams in general. But professional sports organizations have become very data driven. They become very yeah. specialized in the coaches they have on their their staff. And so I'm a huge Liverpool fan and Premier League soccer. But you know, when you look at the coaching staffs, and they've got 
you know, Liverpool's got a coach for throw-ins. Mm. Yeah. Right? They've got a coach for, you know, first team players. They've got a fitness coach. Mm. They've got a nutrition coach. They've got, you know, these specialized coaches. Well, why don't we rethink how we are managing sales? Because right now what we do is say, oh, well, we've got the sales manager. And since they're in this position of authority, somehow they must have this knowledge about how to coach. Yeah. And they, they don't. And then, you know, you go high up, step higher as sales director. We assume, oh, well, they must have even more knowledge about mindset and motivation and performance mm. improvement and so on. They don't. And we can't blame them. They've never been trained on it. So mm. I think what we should be looking at is as one potential solution to say, look, why, if coaching is so effective and you can get this pretty immediate payback from it in terms of uplift and performance, why don't we have specialized coaches as part of your sales staff instead of assuming the manager is going to do it all? It's interesting you say they got a couple of things. First and foremost, I'm an AC Milan fan. So I still, you know, I still can't forget the day that we were 3-0 up against Liverpool in the Champions League final and we lost. I, I, I can't, I can't. I don't know, Andrew, if we can continue this chat. But anyway, I'm yeah, a massive yeah. AC fan, mate. I'm, football is life, right? So yeah, yeah, it is, we'll talk yes. about that on another podcast. Right. <laughs> I was on an airplane watching that match, by the way. So. <laughs> Bloody Steven Gerrard. Anyway, one of the tricks that I, one of the things that I find that impacts sales managers is they often get elevated into a management role because they were good at selling, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the transition from selling to leading others is actually, it's, it's a very different role. And it's funny because I, I see it all the time. I was coaching somebody last week, um, probably in the top 3% or top sort of sorry, three, three sellers every single month. Mm -hmm. And she started the month off really poorly. Um, really poorly she's at the bottom of the leaderboard and we listened to a couple of calls last week very quick call calibration she's had a few you know aha moments mm -hmm. and now she's climbing and she'll probably get back into the top five by the end of the month right now right. that's a direct result not because i'm a good coach but because she's been able to have an environment where she can in a safe environment listen to something you know have somebody ask questions which helps her identify well actually yes I'm, I'm talking too much. I'm not asking open questions. I'm completely ignoring what they're saying and I haven't defined the value and I've gone into, you know, solution mode too early. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, she's realized that, changed the structure, bang, and the results have, have changed, right? Right. And I think this is where the challenge for sales enablement lies is that sales enablement was designed to provide that assistance, but they're getting pulled to product and training on product and specifications and... And they're missing the core part of what their role has been designed to do, which is help drive performance through coaching and, and use data to make, make improved choices. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, yeah, there's, there's confusion about the mission of sales mm. enablement, I think. And, uh, yeah, I don't come out of the sales enablement space per se. Um, but yeah, I think the, the definition that we use on, on my program is that sales enablement is anything and everything that will enable a seller to have a knowledge-based interaction with a buyer that the buyer acknowledges has value. Mm. And so that's what people should be focusing on. And yeah, yeah I think coaching plays a huge role in that because sales is an apprenticeship, right? We can have all the formal training we want, but 
people learn through observation, people learn through doing, people learn through doing with feedback. Mm. And that's, yeah, that's all human driven. And yeah. so, yeah, we need to be able to hopefully get to the point where companies realize the value. You know, I think this is the stumbling block is people want to say, oh, well, managers aren't taking enough time for coaching, but really starts higher up the chain as the demands being put on the manager mm. oftentimes don't leave the time available, right? I mean, if you have a choice between satisfying, getting this report done for your boss, who's paying your salary versus coaching your seller, yeah, they tend to default to satisfying the boss. Yeah, And the boss should needs to be educated to say, look, this is not a good use of this person's time. We can, first of all, we're going to be able to automate a lot of these reports coming up with all the technology we have is they really need to focus their efforts on things that are going to move the needle, as you said before. And so this, this push pull is, is one of the real reasons we've have the crisis, I think in coaching. And so it's interesting just in the last couple of weeks, I've interviewed a couple people on my show who have written books about, you know, Hey, you just need to stop waiting for the company to provide this level of support is you really need to become much more self-directed in your coaching. And so that's, this is sort of this movement you're sort of seeing in the name nominally as self-directed coaching, hmm. which is, yeah, you have to take complete responsibility for your development. Uh, if you want to be coached, then it's more likely you're going to find a peer to do it than your manager. And, and as I said, it's just this trend. It's like, I was talking to the author, I said, well, so you're just really giving companies a complete pass right, on this whole thing. Yeah. And I think he's just being a realist and saying, we can hope for better coaches, but the way we're currently structured, the way we're currently investing in most companies is, yeah, you as an individual really have to um, take individual responsibility for your learning and actually finding somebody there'll be a mentor coach for you that may often be a peer. And so, I mean, you talked about before of, of uh, you know, like Ring DNA that purchased my podcast. It's a great conversational AI system where you can, uh, you know, coach callers or coach sellers through, through calls and so on. You know, one of the best ways to use that is to have, you know, peers listen to calls of other, mm. other sellers and to coach them, provide notes on the calls and expect to get that in return so that, you know, everybody has a, I don't say a quota, but has a goal of how many calls they're going to listen to during a week that aren't their own. Well, it's not only they're providing benefit to somebody else, but also by listening to other people, they're learning themselves too. Yeah. And by having to coach, they're learning. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I still have hope that we can make some radical changes in sales and look at this idea of specialized coaches, look at spending more money at training managers versus sellers. Mm. And then, but in the meantime, yeah, people do have to step up individually and say, if you're waiting for the company to do it, it's the wrong strategy. Yeah. You got to take ownership. You know what? And it's really interesting you bring that up, Andy, because I was going to raise that with you around that self-directed. And I, I'm a very big believer and advocate in that, individual contributors, individual right. sales professionals shouldn't wait for this type of assistance because ultimately if they don't perform, their manager's not going to wait to performance manage them out, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, you know, they have to control their own destiny and that's where I've bought these books because 
I never got sales training. It was, hey, there's a phone. This is, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not that old, right? But this was the old touch pad. There's a phone. There's the, there's, there's, you know, a number, yeah. a lot of numbers. There's a pen. Go and dial. Yeah. Um, it was no training on intonation, um, you know, disc or anything like that. Then I oh, had no. what we called the silver fox. He was a, uh, this is, his nickname was a silver fox because he mm-hmm. was gray haired, bang his hand on a table, show me a pipe. There was, there, that was our training. It was, well, you haven't got enough, go out and get more. Um, mm-hmm. And he would literally yell and scream at us for not producing, right? Right. Um, but so I realized very early on that the only way I was going to enable myself to be the best version of, of myself I could be was go out and find that content that I needed. Look at mm-hmm. and look at my peers. What did mm-hmm. they do well? What aren't they doing so well? What could I, what techniques could I steal from myself and mm-hmm. make my own? Absolutely. So we'd love to know from your perspective, if you're that particular seller or that leader that is looking for those skills, what is the very first thing they could probably start so that they can use coaching as a mechanism to improve performance. So, meaning, what's the first thing you can do to sort of start your self improvement plan? Correct. If the business doesn't go, isn't going to pay for it, um, you know, what are some steps that they can do immediately? Is it listen to some of their own calls? Is it ask for, look for an accountability buddy? Yeah. Well, that's the one I was going to talk about first. Is look okay. for you call it an accountability buddy. Look for a mentor, if you will. Um, yeah, I, I think if you can look for someone that's more experienced than you in the space you're in, that's the first place. Not, it doesn't have to be a manager, but they have to be familiar with what you're going through. In my case, my first job years ago, uh, yeah, I latched on to the number one salesperson mm-hmm. and just made a bunch of calls with him. And his style uh, couldn't be more different than mine. And I think that's one yeah. of the things that attracted me to him because I was a little scared by what he was doing. And I mean, he just, he was fearless. And I, I, I did not have that fearless part of me when I was first prospecting, <laughs> making cold calls because I was out in the field making, knocking on doors, making cold calls on businesses. But he was just fearless. But he, he had such a great way of, of opening an interaction with somebody and being completely and utterly sincere about that he was here to help. Yeah. yeah, he wasn't here to sell. He was here to help. And uh, you know, he had grown up in a family-owned business. He understood you know, small, mid-sized businesses and entrepreneurs, which we were, we were primarily calling on. And yeah, I just loved watching him go through it. And mm-hmm. yeah, I learned so much about what I could do in my own way, right? Because we just had completely different personalities. But for me, that was more important than you know, two weeks of training I'd gone to, the company had, had given. Um, so, yeah. So, but for me, I think in terms of a concrete step, I think people should do is, yeah, find an accountability buddy or a mentor, somebody that, that's going to give them the honest, unvarnished feedback that you need. Yeah. Start committing yourself to spending 10 minutes a day reading a book, right? Just 10 minutes. Yeah, just don't, hey, you know, if you make the commitment, I'm going to, Stop watching TV altogether and just going to read every night. You know, it's not going to work. It's not going to yeah. stick. But take 10 minutes. Just start there. I mean, you'll, eventually, you'll, you'll do more. Yeah, when you're in the gym or, as you said, in the train, when we get back to riding trains, uh, yeah, listen to a podcast. Yeah. But just to try to fill that time with, with something that's a little bit longer form. And this is, this is, this is the part I stress to people is, yeah, I, I write posts on LinkedIn that are short and pithy and, and so on. 
But the real learning comes from reading something that's that's more coherent or it's longer that requires you know some level of thought, and that's that's why I think that books are invaluable in that yeah. regard because people have to lay out the whole picture, they have to lay out the philosophy, they have to have it make sense. So I think you know look at behind you, right? That's mm. that's that's learning right there, and. That was always for me is when I was entering new fields, new technologies I was selling. Yeah, it was pre-internet. All I had was books. Um, But yeah, I'd lean on the books. Mm. One of the things you mentioned earlier in our conversation, which I really want to kind of, you know, focus on is you use the term a couple of times, reinvent yourself. Mm -hmm. And I really love that because that's a complete growth mindset and I think there's people that want coaching but they and they want to improve, but sometimes the barrier that they have to improve performance is they're approaching it with a fixed mindset mm-hmm. and they don't want the feedback that they might not necessarily want to hear, right? I think it's all hard for all of us, right? We've all got a bit of an ego and mm-hmm. I know sometimes one of my mentors is Tony Hughes, um, author yeah, of Combo Tony. Prospecting. And he slams me, Andy. Like he gives me some, (laughs) yeah, I often get off the calls going, mate, maybe I can't sell. Maybe I need to change my career. Um, But he slams me. And and sometimes it's hard for me to accept and I I get grumpy and I I cross my arms and I'm like, what do you know? Um, But but then when I reflect, I actually go, actually, you know what he said to me? He's spot on. Like he's absolutely spot on. Um, But so what advice have you got for somebody that, you know, has that trait that they want coaching, but they might be a bit resistant to that feedback. Yeah, it's a hard one, right? Yeah, because yeah, people have to have to be open to learning, mm. regardless of what form it comes in. And you're right; we all have egos. Um, yeah, and there's I think there's this misconception that somehow newer generations in the workforce are more sensitive about it, and I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's just mm people have to be willing to provide feedback in a direct form that's relevant yeah. to what the people are doing. It's And unfortunately, a lot of times people give the feedback of their own agendas. And the only agenda you should have when you're coaching someone is how can I help this person become a better version of themselves? All right. So understanding what their needs and their requirements are and keeping the feedback focused mm. on helping them. And, yeah, it's again. If somebody's closed-minded about it, yeah, you, there's not much you can do. Um, right. I think as you can spend a lot of time sort of tilting against that windmill, and I've done it in the past. But on the other yeah. hand, been hugely rewarded by people who have completely embraced and wanted to transform themselves over time. And you know that's what sort of keeps you coming back doing yeah. it. But um, yeah, this idea of reinvention, I think, is is a good idea for people to sort of think about because. I've identified maybe like seven instances during my career where I felt there's substantial reinvention going on. Yeah. And but for me, I found in a sales career that was the biggest motivator for me, more so than saying, "Hey, I'm going to get paid a lot of money." Is yeah, I get to learn something new, and I get to learn something new with really interesting, smart people. And so I prioritized those things in my career is, is when I looked at the next step or I was being recruited, it's like, 
yeah, is this is this different enough from what I was doing? Hmm. Yeah, rolling something different and something a new challenge. Uh, you know, am I calling on a different set of customers? What am I going to learn in this this environment that I would, didn't know? And so I wasn't looking at you know how can I leverage my past experience into this you know sort of the same industry into another company. Yeah, some yeah. people may do that. I just that wasn't what I was interested in, and yet for me. By doing that, I think that's what enabled me to succeed. And then the rewards come with that. Yeah. But the rewards were just an outcome. It wasn't sort of the driver. So um, I always just sort of had this thing, right? It's, what am I going to sell? Who am I going to learn from? Yeah. But that was a mindset. So you purely had a growth mindset. And I'd love to flip this because we talk about um, the, the the lack of investment in leadership to help them mm-hmm. coach. And, and on your recent podcast, or, or the one that you've you brought back from three years ago, right, I think, yeah. with Stephen Covey. Right. And he talks about one of the things that I loved in that particular episode, because this is something I often say to sellers, um, it's confidence comes from being competent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And he talks about that. He's saying when you're competent, you can actually, it shows a level of confidence and it's authentic. And so that builds trust, right? Exactly, right. Exactly. So, right. because that's what it's all about. You can be confident, but it's not genuine. And you know that there's no authenticity sitting behind it because there's no substance. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I found, I love to get your perspective on this is sometimes sales managers shy away from coaching because they're not confident because they lack the competence and understanding of how to effectively coach yep. and navigate through those conversations. Right. And because there may be some past experience where They've tried to coach and they've had resistance from their team. Mm-hmm. So they've gone, mm-hmm. well, does it work, right? So what advice could you give to, you know, because we've got a lot of sales leaders that listen to our podcast. Right. Um, you know, what advice could you give to them that are trying to make that that transformation in their team? Because the reality is the last six months, even though I believe the fundamentals of selling hasn't changed, the environment in which we're selling and the anxiety in which sellers are operating in has changed, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So sellers are under more pressure. Managers are under more pressure to deliver. So now yeah. they're getting conflicting priorities. So, mm-hmm. you know, what could you, what advice could you give them that's going to help them move that to that point of confidence from being, you know, being competent? Right. Well, I mean, so there's two levels that coaching operates on, let's say, two main levels. And I think that yeah. the default for most sales managers is, they want to coach opportunities, mm. right? We're going to go through the pipeline and we'll do deal strategy, so on and so forth. Sure, there's a place for that, but that's not really coaching, right? Coaching yeah. is about developing the individual and you have to have that perspective in mind is I'm going to invest this time. There's a fabulous book that I think everybody should read. Uh, I've read this book several times called The Coaching Habit yeah. and written by a gentleman named Michael Bungay-Stanier. And a short, short book, uh, extremely well written, and it lays out seven steps to the structure, how you structure a coaching session, basically, uh, around seven questions that you ask that, you know, sort of interesting is when you actually, when you, when you go through it and read it, my first impression when I finished the book was like, these seven questions you structure about how to interact with your, your the person you're coaching and the questions you asked to take him through this, this uh, learning session was like, Oh, well, that's really a good sales book <laughs> because it was really, yeah, these are questions you want to ask a prospect. Yes. Um, it's the exact same thing. And so 
yeah, I talked about, he didn't realize he'd written a great sales book, but it's also a great sales book. But yeah, read this book. And that's the perspective you want to have is, is how do I help my people become self-sufficient problem solvers? Mm. And that's what you're, that's what you're trying to do, right? Is I want, you know, sales is, I have this argument with people all the time is, you know, when you look at the attributes you want a seller to have, or if you ask a buyer, what's the attributes you want a seller to have when they're dealing with you? It's you know, very different from the way a lot of companies look to hire people, yeah, right? Yeah. They're, they're not looking for extroverts. They're not looking for hunters. They're not looking. And I summarize and say, what a buyer wants is a buyer wants a curious, open-minded problem mm-hmm. solver. Absolutely. Well, and so part of what Bungay Standard teaches in the book is, yeah, how do you help your people become more effective problem solvers? And on their own, and they almost sort of take this this uh, process you learn in his book, and you guys said you can take it right into the sales arena and use that as a seller, because that's sort of what you're doing with as a seller is is if you're doing it right, you don't want to give the answers to your prospects. You want to help them find the answers, because yeah. I believe that when they sort of take ownership of, oh yeah, yeah, this is an idea we want to embrace and it's my idea that they know it sort of comes from you and you've had that influence on them and you're suddenly in a better position with them. So um, yeah, I think that's a good first step. It's just read this book, put it into practice. It's very simple. To my mind, the best resource you can find for coaching out of, and I've read tons of books on coaching and even though it's not specifically about sales, it is about sales. And yeah, it'll pay back many times. Yeah. Well, we'll get that book and put it into the show notes. But uh, Andy, I'm, I'm, I'm completely aligned with what you said. I love that. Our, our role as sales professionals is not to tell them the outcome. It's to help them through the journey mm-hmm. and help them come to the realization and arrive at a certain decision. So I absolutely love what you've described there. Well, and I think it's the difference, and I think this is where people sort of conflate the meaning of two different words, which is influence and persuasion. Mm. And our job is not to persuade, yep. our yep. job is to influence. And uh, yeah, another episode or something, we can go through the, oh, the distinctions. Yeah. But and I, I, I've taken that out. I said, I don't like the word convince, persuade, um, you know, manipulate, you know, all that shouldn't be. My job is is as a professional, is to help you through that buying process, is exactly. to enable you to make the decision. And whether you choose yes. me or not, it's not. I can't control that. But I can control the experience I can create. So I think well, we have another episode here, Andy. Yeah, well, and that's. but what you're talking about, though, is, is a matter of perspective. And I think yeah. this is so important for people to understand is that I believe that the difference between people who are you know, consistently successful in sales is not that they're more skilled it's the perspective they have about what they're trying to accomplish. Mm. And so you sort of said is, you know, I speak to a crowd of people and, and sellers at a sales kickoff or something, and I'll ask the question, so what's your job? And, you know, the answers you people throw up from the audience is usually around, well, our job is to get an order for the products, you know, we're selling or sell our company's yeah. products. And I'm like, no, that's not your job. Your job is, to, to your point you just made, it's, <laughs> your job is to help your buyer make a purchase decision. Now, if that's what you think your job is, the way you're going to approach how you deal with them is completely different than if you think your job is to get an order. Absolutely. 
you, you're so right. There's this, I, I referenced this book last week in my podcast, Andy, and it's uh, This Is Marketing by Seth Godin. I love him. Mm-hmm. And he talks about the quarter-inch drill bit. And people don't buy the quarter-inch drill bit. They buy the quarter-inch hole. But they don't oh, buy the yeah. hole. They buy the shelf that the hole goes on. And they don't buy the shelf. They buy the declutter. They, but they don't buy the declutter. They buy the, the feeling they get when their partner says, you know, well done, right? Yeah. And so that's what I, I absolutely just love that particular part of the book. And I think it resonates so much with what you just said that, you know, they're not getting an order. What is it they're helping? What's the impact? Um, what's the change that you're going to help someone make? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, when you think about it, you know, how does your, there's a woman named Lisa McLeod who's written a book called Selling with Noble Purpose. And it just released in its second edition. And Lisa was uh, just interviewing the show that, and yeah, her her research has shown is that that if you can identify this purpose in your sales, which she says basically is, you know, how have the lives of your customers changed as a result of buying and using your product? Then if that informs the way you're interacting with them, then that's pretty powerful. That yeah, you have that gold. purpose driving you. Mm. And and so yeah, and we we've um we did an exercise on LinkedIn a couple months ago. We said my my son and I, because he's my partner in this endeavor, and and um, you know, ran this what we called a five word challenge. And so I asked people on LinkedIn community is tell me what you sell in five words or less, meaning what's the value you offer and what's the value the customer gets from it in five words or less. And we got all these you know really interesting answers that came in. But what they really boil down to is that's really your purpose, mm. right? If you can express it that succinctly, um, it includes in that sort of the change the customer experiences, that's your purpose. And so, um, yeah, it gets, it gets, again, it gets back to this idea of perspective. Yeah, and, awesome. and I think in sales, what we do people a disservice, our sellers a disservice, those of us who are writing books and talking and so on is, is too often the default mode is, look, you need to transform how you're doing things. And I think the key is that we have to stop talking about transforming is we need to change one degree of orientation. Let's just change one degree. Mm. Let's make a small change and let's see how that goes. And then maybe we'll do another small change on top of that. And that's why I think people just sort of shifting their perspective a little bit can make a huge huge difference in their outcome. And I think a lot of it's just mindset oriented. It's, it's yeah. you know, the growth mindset, as we talked about, is huge. I think there's also mindsets having to do with, uh, uh, you know, persuasion versus influence and, mm. um, you know, various decision-making styles that the customers have is, you know, I think that, again, the default mode for a lot of sellers is think, well, I'm trying to help my customer make the best decision. And the fact is customer doesn't want to make the best decision. They make a good enough decision mm. and because they don't have the time yeah. to make the best decision. And they've got constraints that, you know, they've got a limited amount of time. They have a limited amount of access to information, a little bit of understanding of what the future might bring. So, yeah, they'll make a decision that you're a Herbert Simon, a Nobel Prize winner, talking about satisfied decision, which is, you know, yeah. it's just, satisfies the requirements and sufficient for the time to achieve the desired outcomes. But that's a mindset thing. Yeah. And yeah. so we've got all these perspective changes that, that if sellers really understood, it's just sort of shifting just a little bit here on the way you're seeing the world, 
has a big impact on the outcomes you can achieve. Well, I think we've got another two or three episodes we can do out as a result of this, Andy, because this conversation is awesome. But I'm conscious of time, mate. But I just want to, I, I think I know the answer to this one, but I, I try to ask every guest this question. Sure. Um, in your opinion, is sales an art or a science? A little both. More yeah. art than science. But yeah, unfortunately, what. So there's many parts of that answer. So. You know, there's what people are oftentimes calling today the science of selling, which is driven by metrics and KPIs. Mm. And as I like to tell people, is don't kid yourself. That's just math. And it's not science. It's math. <laughs> and mm. conversion rates and so on. So let's acknowledge that. Uh, I think the science is coming in the form of AI and other things yeah. that are going to enable sellers uh you know, give them some tools they can use in real time and in their interactions, you know, so amplify the humanity of the seller themselves. I think that part is science. You know, there's other parts of science. We talk about the science of, you know, social psychology, behavioral economics. Yeah, there's been a lot of great stuff written, but the fact is a lot of that's pretty controversial these days because, uh, like, there's a study that just came out of Duke University that said that, you know, any behavioral a uh, study you read that was based on functional MRIs, which was the huge thing, right? Let's put something in an MRI machine, we'll give them stimulus, we'll see what parts of the brain activate. Well, basically, the scientists and study conclude that every one of those studies is invalid yeah, because the data was misread and misinterpreted. So we just have to... <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just a useful data point. So if you yeah. think, gosh, I'm going to live my life by this book that tells me that people behave this way in certain situations... I just caution you because, mm. yeah, it may be wrong. But learn from your experience, and uh, that's where the art comes from. And keep learning from your experience. And, yeah, if you're like me, you've been in it for four decades, I'm still learning every single day. That should be your goal. Yeah, so that's awesome. And biggest influence in your career and why? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I probably one one boss I had. Um, I'd been in started in sales, and I I had been in sort of uh, marketing and channel sales roles, uh, working for like Apple in the early days and some other PC companies, and and made the switch to selling this, some enterprise communication stuff. And I had a boss there that just had faith in me that I could do that, and. Uh, you know, it was my first experience selling really big deals, working with really big companies. And yeah, if not for him, probably wouldn't have uh, gotten to where I am today. So That's pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, Andy, uh, like, like I said, I've absolutely loved this episode. I think we've got a lot of, a lot of more stuff we could cover. But I want to firstly, um, I want to th say thanks, mate, for the contribution that you make to our community because it's helping sellers be the best they can be and it's helping sellers find ways to reinvent themselves. So I um, want to say thanks. And also before we, we will let you go, where can people find um, more about you and how sure. can they listen to your podcast? And we'll make sure we put um, show notes in. Okay, great. Well, the podcast sales enablement with Andy Paul on uh, every podcast platform out there <laughs> and uh, Apple, Spotify, so on. And if you listen to it and you like it, please go to iTunes, leave us a review. Uh, the best way to connect with me is uh, LinkedIn. So yep. real Andy Paul, you know, LinkedIn.com, whatever, real Andy Paul, um, or just search Andy Paul. There's a few of us there, but I'm the only one with the podcast, I think. And then, yeah, check out, come to ringdna.com and check out what we're doing there. Fantastic. Well, again, thanks for everything you do, mate. And thanks for coming on the Sales IQ podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.